engineering and construction management firm that is specialized in agriculture and more specifically controlled environment agriculture. Welcome aboard, Bradley. Hi, nice to see you. Thanks for having me, Richard. Yeah, so, you know, there's not, it's not a thing a lot of people think about until you're really involved in the industry. And even then, a lot of people try and go it alone. But a firm that is specializing from end to end with regards to the construction and fitting out of a facility has incredible value in terms of speed, cost, and consistency. You can plan for what you're going to have much further in advance than if you were trying, if you were building it on your own. How did you get into this? And I know you've built out about 500 different facilities, but obviously not all of them in cannabis. So what's the breadth of the market you deal with? Yeah, so we, uh, we started eight years ago. I co-founded the company and we started as a, a light uh, distribution company mm. into the cannabis segment when, uh, when the cannabis industry was, was just starting in the Colorado marketplace. Right. And uh, fast forward to, uh, to today, uh, we're on the NASDAQ, as you know, we, we raised a good chunk of money when we uplisted and enabled us to, to really execute on, on that vision of, of design, build, and also on turnkey services and being the largest in the cannabis space uh, in the world. We've uh, evolved from that point to focus on food as well. So right. on uh, uh, food-focused vertical farming, indoor, mm-hmm. uh, just like where our, our experience is, is from the indoor side of the, of the cannabis segment as well. You'd mentioned 500 facilities. We've worked on, on about 1,000 projects now okay. combined, but not 500 facilities. Um, with the last acquisition we made of a construction management firm, we're now able to do the full design build. So exciting time uh, in the global market for us right now. It is. And, you know, there's there's a lot of growth in the space here. And I was reading just yesterday an article about, um, I believe it was Dubai or uh, Qatar, looking to build out enormous amounts of facilities because, one, there's a challenge for feeding the world and areas especially where there's lack of access to water and other environmental issues. But it's an efficiency question in every industry. When companies in the cannabis space approach you, what is their primary motivator? It's for our, our expertise. It's, mm-hmm. it's to get to market faster. You know, with those 500 projects, we have uh, about 115 employees right now. Two-thirds are what I call experts, architects, a variety of different types of engineers, uh, crop consultants, horticulturists. Mm-hmm. And so the projects that we've been in that acquired expertise that they have, you know, they want access to, to that knowledge base of what is the quickest path to, to build that facility in a new state, especially in the U S market, mm-hmm. the first entrants um, that are up and running are, are, you know, that's a big advantage to, to be up one or two hardest early. Speed is always yeah. a, an, a, the biggest advantage for early stage businesses and new markets. It's also like that project management or administrative side of it as well. Just the, the fact that we have, we're a single point of responsibility. Right. And so it's, it's holding that client's hands throughout the entire process. And, and now with that recent acquisition, we can take that process through to the full design build as well, but it's it's being that um, that uh, owner's rep almost as well at the same time, and, and ensuring that we 
we bring them to market, get a, a high performance facility in place that's going to mm-hmm. perform efficiently for the, the life of that facility. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's pretty common for people to work with, you know, in different areas of construction development to work with firms that literally are turnkey. You engage them to build out the project. You have cost certainty or close to it. You know, there's always some variability if there's big mm-hmm. problems in the market or inflation, but you generally have cost certainty in the overall. What's the timeline that you look at when you're working with a client? Well, it used to be a I mean, little bit It varies bit shorter. On, on size yeah. of facility, but... Well, and also what's happening in the world, right? And, yep. and the market in terms of supply chain. But um, usually about 18 months, uh, as quick as 12, depending on the size of the facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the nice uh, advantage, though, we have, there's a lot of supply chain issues in many industries, but in the, in the cannabis space right now, it's primarily on the equipment side. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if we're holding that client's hand, if we engage them early on for the cultivation space uh, programming, you know, looking at how they want to utilize that space, not only at startup, but one or two expansions into the, into the future as well. We, um, we, we, we are able to, at that point, if, if, for example, mechanical systems, which could have a three-month lead time, now it's six months plus, yep. no problem for us, right? We can just engage that discussion on that piece of system, mm-hmm. on that equipment system a little bit earlier. So we do help uh, that efficient timeline, but I'd say 12 to 18 months total that we're engaged. Not only that, Richard, after we want to stay engaged, and we, we have that recurring revenue program, managed service program on the back end, where we help well, train. There's a lot of things on an ongoing basis. I mean, the facilities aren't just build them and walk away. There's a lot of maintenance that goes on. And, uh, you know, be it, you know, depending on the type of facility, if it's a greenhouse, you've got the, you know, the, the roofing that has to be replaced every couple of years at the minimum because of the degradation. But a lot of other elements within it also, you know, or not just general maintenance, have a lifespan. And just like, you know, some farm equipment has a number of hours till it has to be rebuilt. The same thing in, uh, in a facility, you've got to monitor that and make sure or else you're going to start losing efficiency in production. Hey, you're, you're 100% right. And some other design build firms will build that facility and, and they're done. But the mm-hmm. value add that we have with that, that expertise in, in the cannabis segment is we're able to train uh, there's turnover in the cannabis market uh, from an operational level. We can keep training, uh, remote monitoring the facility, troubleshooting issues to get that uh, that uh, facility back on track as quickly as possible. And then we have plant scientists that also write um, uh, integrated pest management programs as well for them mm, okay. to to help avoid pest outbreaks uh, by, by proactively planning. So we want to stay engaged because then we're front of mind when it's time to expand or optimize the facility, or it's time to, uh, to, to open a second facility or a third and so on and so forth. We're there. We're, uh, we're front of mind for them. And that's, and we've done that's, what we can. yeah, no. And that's really interesting that you actually have not just plant scientists, but you have people involved who look at pest management from the perspective of, you know, how to plan and breed um, for, pests how do you manage around it and that's something that often gets overlooked early on is what are you going to do what are the mitigation risks you have and you know i know there's a number of people who use biodynamic farming where they breed pests that are sterile that eat the other pests but that's difficult in a facility um, in an internal closed uh, box essentially how do you address that because that's one of the biggest risks to production once you're up and running 
So it's typically, we try and do it through biologicals, um, you know, firms that are, are growing those pests that eat the other pests, the prescription that, that our yep. uh, plant scientists will write, they'll order in and we'll deliver uh, X amount of insects on a weekly basis. And um, it, it's hopefully the perfect prescription for them. But it all starts, Richard, with designing that perfect environment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where a lot of people can go astray when they piecemeal a facility together is not looking at how holistically how the equipment systems mm-hmm. work together. And uh, the simplest thing can throw off an environment and, and result in a pest outbreak. So if you focus on, on the environment during the build-out process and design process, um, that's step one. Once you're done that, then it's just making sure you, you maintain that environment. And biologicals uh, are, are the option of choice for us. Uh, in Canada, of course, it's much different than than in the U.S., right? Yep. It all has to be organic. You can't use, uh, it's even much more than Well, it's more than organic, right? Organic allows you to use 30 different pesticides and cannabis. It's, you used to be limited to eight, which the most stringent, the strongest was safer soap. Now it's a little more uh, free, but it's still not even close to the 30 that organic allows. Yeah. And, uh, which is amazing in and of itself. Yeah. Actually, on that, we do have to take a short break, but we'll be back in a minute with Bradley Natras from Urban Grow. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Um, one of which I remember was about 100,000 square feet. And even when the temperature was minus 45, they had to have the air conditioning going to keep it cool. Across the U.S., and I know you're expanding into Europe, you're dealing with a much broader range of uh, environmental challenges. How do you address, how do you plan for it, but also what are the most difficult ones you have to deal with? Uh, surprising. You know, it's, there's, there's a, a longstanding debate, indoor versus greenhouse, <clears throat> versus mm-hmm. even outdoor, right, in the equatorial yep. zone. It depends uh, or, where or, you are. What it changes the metrics of what's the most advantageous. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. But you know, we we're working on facilities now in Florida or on the islands uh-huh. uh, where they're building indoor, just because it allows them to have that consistent environment yeah. all year all year round. So it's making sure that uh, that it's the it's the proper environment. The issue, of course, with with greenhouse in some of these places with cannabis is how do you get how do you cool it? How do you get the humidity out? Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we do uh, lean closer to the indoor side. That's our area of expertise. Right. And, um, but that's our side. How about, how about your feedback on that? You've got a great background in, in cannabis. Of course, well, well, you know, there's very few markets where I look at and say outdoor absolutely makes sense. Peru is one of the only markets. The air is bone dry. You've got massive supplies of water, but it is a desert and it is, it's like nature's greenhouse. It really is so environmentally controlled in an outdoor setting. It's hard to believe and hard to fathom. Apart from that, you definitely need some form of control in place uh, in any facility. And it doesn't matter if, you know, even if you try and go hybrid where you have outdoor, but you have some covering, it allows you to funnel the airflow, which that alone can make a massive difference to the the production. But, you know, the indoor facilities are a nightmare here in Canada because, you know, you're touching on the uh, the pest issues. There's massive crop loss because 
um, one pest in becomes a million pests if it's not controlled properly. And you touched upon the movement of product within the facility, the equipment, but also the movement of people. With each facility, how how standardized do you have that in terms of planning for the movement of people and, and uh, equipment, or do you really have to modify it based on jurisdiction? No, it's all it's all handled during the initial cultivation space planning. It's mm-hmm. you know how people, plants, and and products interact in that facility and move around. But by looking by utilizing our experts early on, and and as I, I believe I alluded to earlier, looking at how you want the facility to operate day one and future expansions, taking them into consideration. Mm-hmm. We then design to maximize the, the use of that space, taking all of the above into, uh, into consideration. Mm, interesting. And, you know, as you, as, you go, as you go around, not just the country, but you're starting to expand out into European markets. There you've got obviously different competition who have very different backgrounds with what regards to what you have in the U S how are you finding the market there in terms of uh, adaptability and some of the traditional greenhouse makers to cannabis since the market is more open in many ways. So we hired, first thing we hired a managing director, uh, an individual with 25 years of uh, experience in the horticulture space. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had worked with one of the largest uh, automation companies in the Netherlands and we okay. opened uh, an office uh, about 30 minutes outside of the Netherlands and have started staffing and, and looking at potential acquisitions to, to speed up the, the market entry. Right. But without that, for that, we're working now in, um, we're working right now in, in Germany, in Portugal, uh, Spain, the UK, Netherlands, mm-hmm. with some of those uh, companies in, involved in the experiment, and North Macedonia. But the focus has primarily been on the indoor. Uh-huh. You know, and the reasons behind that is with the integrators based in Europe and you know the main greenhouse builders, we don't want to be a competitor. You know, our, our expertise is in the is in 30 to 70,000 square foot indoor facilities. It's right. it's it's a different animal. And it's the same really in food vertical farming. Their expertise is multi-hectare. Uh-huh. Uh, greenhouses, and, and we're not looking to to compete there. So we want to. We've integrated ourselves into the market, and we're utilizing those uh, those relationships we built, those partnerships, to to advance more rapidly. Right, the market in Europe. Interesting. The markets you mentioned, obviously, Portugal is you know very advanced with regards to everybody else, and some of the large, op- the biggest global operations of facilities there. You mentioned North Macedonia. I spent a few uh, a bit of time there with regards to. A number of the participants looking at what they have, and it was a little bit all over the map. But they had a strong desire to uh, advance aggressively because they could under- they understood what the opportunity was to that country. Um, but the European markets have different challenges today with regards to power usage um, that we don't really face over here. And how are they planning for that? Because obviously, there's they need to plan differently. And a firm like yours that's bringing together a facility has to be mindful of that sensitive area because without the right power consumption, everything goes you know, to pot, no pun intended. Yeah, you know, before the, or at the start of the pandemic, you know, the US had a lot of momentum in the cannabis space in Europe. Mm-hmm. The momentum wasn't strong enough to carry mm-hmm. through. And so what we found is it was really everything paused. Switzerland was the closest at the time. 
uh-huh. and and everything really paused. It's starting to uh, to increase again. The but really, for all of our projects, that we're not at the build stage. They're all uh-huh. still in the architecture or, or engineering or even the cultivation space programming stages at this point. So it will be, of course, country by country uh, to help us help our customers in those uh, specific countries. We're looking at acquisitions of engineering firms uh-huh. that have the the experience that we need to to not only you know in, to, to what we found is so far from a mechanical standpoint, the, the perfect solution for an indoor cannabis facility does not exist right now in the uh-huh. European area. There's lots of alternatives. Typically, they'd go with more traditional carrier or train or, or that version over in Europe. Uh-huh. So, you know, we're, we're focused on, on helping either find the right partner that will build up the solution for uh-huh. them. And on the mechanical side, it ties in exactly to the to the engineering and the electrical as well. But uh, power upgrades, um, how they're going to handle it, definitely a, a focus for the future. And it's really for CEA as a whole, right? It's energy management and uh, water. Yeah. Whoever solves that issue is, uh, is set for the future. Yeah, I mean, water is an issue for everybody in the industry. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter where you go. Power, power is becoming a different issue for, for people. And um you know, from the from the perspective that you were just mentioning, though, um, when you're dealing with the various suppliers, obviously, since you're outfitting the facility to the customer's needs, and you know the Europeans are all striving to get to the EU GMP uh, certifications as quickly as possible because it opens up the markets for them, in, not just within Europe and internationally. It's not a standard that people in the U.S. generally worry about or look at, but it is a you know it's a phenomenally high standard which meets pharma grade. Uh, production. Are those demands uh, something you're starting to look at in terms of bringing back to facilities you're building in the U.S. from the perspective of future-proofing? Yeah, so in Canada, um, a few years ago, as we were building out facilities there, not building, but designing facilities and working predominantly on the the design of the the cultivation side of the business and, and the environmental controls, uh, we were uh, ensuring because a lot of the uh, product was exported to Germany, so we mm-hmm. were designing to uh, to EU GMP standards. We haven't had those requests uh, in the U.S., but in Europe, of course, it's uh, it's mandatory and needed. So what we do mm-hmm. in Europe is work with uh, EU GMP consulting group for now to go over, look at our designs, and make sure that they're um, they're in line and 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 checking all the boxes. Right. And do you work because you're producing the, I mean, from the perspective of the facility, you're, you're checking off all the boxes. The certification process begins, of course, with the first crops. How do you stay involved? Do you stay involved through that process in case there's any adjustments necessary? We'll stay throughout the entire process, but none of those projects have to date um, gotten through to the point where they've started growing. We are working with operators right. and helping them optimize the facility. But when we're involved right at the start yep. uh, and working all the way through, we haven't realized the full project yet. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be between, if you're taking 18 months to do the full build out, you're going to be spending another 12 for the GACP certification, another six to eight beyond that for you, EU GMP, start, assuming you're starting right at day one. So it's not a, a short cycle. No, and we actually were at um, a trade show. We had a team there this week in Germany, in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. And, 
And, uh, you know, the, the question that I asked uh, my lead was, you know, how's the, they've announced legalization. How's the market responding? And mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be one or two years. You know, it's going to take time. There's a lot of delays. So it's not as active as, as we thought, but we were, we were thinking it might be a little bit quicker. Yeah. You know, and that's common. The regulatory framework generally takes 18 to 24 months to be put in place. And even though, you know, if legalization happened in the U.S. tomorrow, it's still two years till everybody knows what's the, you know, what's the playing field really look like? Yeah. That's that's difficult for everybody. Yeah, that's really uh, Brad, we do have to take one more short break, but okay, we'll be sure. back with Brad Natris from uh, CEO of Urban Grow on The Green Peak in just a moment. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. In the Green Peak with Brad Natras from Urban Grow. And Brad, you know, your business is really interesting in terms of the areas it touches upon because you're going in depth to in one area that often gets overlooked and is incredibly um, important to the success of an organization going forward. As the market continues to grow and develop, uh, a firm like yours is well positioned not just to execute but to lead. But that's going to require, obviously, as well, some diversification, expansion of your business. How are you looking at that? That's a great question. Um, With some of the acquisitions we've made over the last year, architect firms, construction management firms, they do have a a base business that they're bringing in. Uh, Our goal is to have 51% or more in CEA. Right. when we uh, when we take them in, they also have some industrial. CEA being the controlled environment agriculture for. Yep, correct. Right. Yep. And for CEA, Urban Grow, it's food and it's cannabis. Those are mm-hmm. those are the two focuses. But the contracts that these acquisitions are bringing are not only in the cannabis space, and not only are they allowing us to enter new markets, maybe in which we're not operating. But they also have existing contracts in industrial side, whether it's consumer packaged goods, beverage mm-hmm. companies, or healthcare, um, they have existing contracts. So what that allows us to do by keeping that good, strong mm-hmm. project, good, strong profit contracts, but we can, we, can, we can experience the diversification by spreading our assets from sector to sector. So our architects mm-hmm. and our engineers, we don't have to worry about over hiring. If one of the segments drops off a little bit, it's okay. We can mm-hmm. move them over to another segment. So it really ensures that that Urban Grow has a has a strong foundation. And you can also work with multiple touch points in the supply chain so that there is a clarity in terms of where the handoffs occur between different steps that is advantageous and actually can be fact where companies are aligning can give them uh, basically economic advantages as well. Yes, and we're positioned as cannabis starts to expand more uh, aggressively in Europe and as mm-hmm. new states open. We have the team to, to, we don't have a lot of capacity. We don't have capacity limitations. Right. We'll be able to handle it all. And the firms which come to you, you know, you're looking at the, you know, the controlled environment agriculture, as you mentioned, obviously horticulture is a big part of planning it all out. It's not just growing, it's planning it out. You've got the planning phase before where as you're designing the facilities, you're having to think about that and coordinate with the, the growers, but then, Obviously, once it's grown, you know, it's dried and then it's processed. Are you working with them through the processing phase as well to build the labs, to build the extraction systems and so on and so forth? So we build the, 
the labs and the extraction facilities. Uh-huh. We design them and it's part of it will be part of the build process. Right. The actually the extraction side of the business is the only side where we do not supply all of the equipment okay. uh, in the process. We we bring in uh, you know, make a few recommendations. Yeah. And they can bring that in themselves. But we do all the uh, explosion proof walls, et cetera, as part of the engineering and architecture stages. Yeah. And uh, that's the safety factor is should be front of mind for anybody who's building out because there's there is a lot of risk in that part of the uh, process, um, especially when you're using the solvents and the like. Um, and f- then from the planning perspective early on, I mean, it's agriculture, but it's horticulture. And it's a lot of planning. How do you how do you approach that part of the business? Because obviously, the better planned, the better organized the operation is afterwards, the more successful you are in terms of picking up the next piece. So during the planning stage, it's very very engaging. It's mm-hmm. utilizing our our uh, crop consultants. Early on, it's it's sitting down with the ownership group, and if they have a, a grower that's picked up or a team that's hired already, we sit down with them, and it's a lot of uh, give and take, right? There's a lot of different approaches to growing, mm-hmm. and uh, if we hear uh, an idea or a recommendation from the client that we may have seen in the past uh, doesn't work as, mm-hmm. as anticipated or doesn't work as well, we'll make sure we speak up. You know, so we're not okay. just designing according mm-hmm. to what the client wants or to an RFP. We're trying to guide the best practices. Yeah, that's right. And and we don't want it. We don't have, it's not one size fits all. And find out the budget early on. Very yeah. important, right? See where we can modify after the design. Um, is it the mechanical system? Is it the lights? Is it the, the benching system they use? How much, what level of automation do they want in? But everything can be adjusted to come out with the, a final budget that that won't be a surprise on the back end, uh-huh. and it's been holistically put together as well. That's we're not a manufacturer, for sure. Don't intend to be a manufacturer. We want to work with all the manufacturers, and it, right. it ties into that Europe discussion, uh-huh. right? A lot of a lot of vendors, a lot of the manufacturers and cannabis, they're they're horticulture yeah. manufacturers. So yeah. if we can have as many partnerships as we can, and we can bring that holistic plan in for any budget. It uh, it helps cause it helps solve a lot of issues that would arise down the road. Yeah, and that's that's important that you work with a lot of the different companies because there are advantages depending on the market. They've installed systems in different markets and have also the local knowledge. I worked with Rochelle on uh, my facility in Colombia, and because they had a number of other projects down there, they had local knowledge, which was advantageous. And that's something and which... service and maintenance, right? Of course, exactly. after the facility yeah. up and running, yeah. Exactly. So, Brad, we are out of our, out of time for today. But people who want to learn more about Urban Grow and you know find out how they can participate or if they need a production, uh, building something out, how should they reach you and how can they learn more? www.urban-gro.com. And when they reach through, uh, reach out. Please uh, mention your name, and uh, we'll make sure we get them in in touch with the right. Uh, expert, as I mentioned, and, and horticulturist to, to help guide them down the path and, and initially give them more information. But thank you for that opportunity, Richard. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us on The Green Peak, uh, Brad. It's been great having you, and I hope we get to have you on again. I look forward to it, and thank you very much for your interest. Thank you, and Take care. thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again with you next week. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. 
Thank you.